Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On the last episode of Guilt. As time goes on, my feelings are that drowning is probably something that, well it can't be ruled out at this stage um, then there needs to be work done on the other possibilities uh, so that we can get some, as a community and uh, as a family um, the Joneses can get some finality to this whole thing I guess the police have got a job to do and they do it the way they do it and it's, it's done um, not in secret but it's done uh, confidentially um, and I've got no problem with that. However, this has gone on for a long time now. It's been investigated twice, and we really don't know what they've come up with. Um, why? There's something funny going on here, really. Like the, the kids didn't seem to worry, they weren't worried about it, you know. They obviously didn't like Lockie for a start. About every second time I went around this place, I told him my son was in danger. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. Before we start this episode, I just want to reiterate that it's important to remember that everyone is presumed innocent unless proven otherwise. This podcast aims only to provide the facts of the case, from those that were there and the evidence available. Anyone involved will always be free to tell their side of this story, should they choose. I've reached out to Lockie's mother's side of the family for comment, but it seems they wish to remain silent. This fact in itself is not to be considered any indication of guilt. Remember, this has been a tragic event for all involved, and everyone deals with emotion differently. In the last episode, we heard from the former mayor of Gore, Tracy Hicks. We discussed the WorkSafe case with the Gore District Council, and it seemed that despite the eventual guilty plea, according to Tracy, there were some people within the council who likely still privately felt that the evidence of Lockie's death being a drowning was weak at best. Since that episode, I requested a statement from Gore District Council's legal team, 
and I was somewhat surprised when I received a reply that one of them was happy to have a chat. Um, so I'm Joseph Liu. I'm a senior associate at Chapman Trip, and I work uh, primarily in health and safety law. Chapman Trip is one of New Zealand's premier law firms, and Gore District Council retained their services within a few days of Lockie's death, no doubt aware that there were likely going to be legal ramifications to the incident. I asked Joseph when he personally started working on the case, and why it was that Gore District Council made the decision to enter the not guilty plea. During this interview, it's clear that Joseph is choosing his words wisely, as there are elements to this case which are privileged, which basically means private between the parties and cannot be shared publicly. Okay. And how long have you worked on, on this particular case? Or did you work on it? Uh, so from the outset, so that was uh, January 2019, is when I, well, um, it would have been a few days after that that we became involved. Okay. You know, straight into it, um, you know, the initial decision of the council was clearly to fight the charges, you know, and those revolved around the charge that of the serious risk of death. Um, so, so what was the decision? Why did they make that decision to, to fight those initial charges? Uh, so with many prosecutions and investigation pro- processes, um, there's uh, the information that you've got at the time. Um, and so uh, the decision uh, that was made at the outset was informed, um, obviously, uh, by our advice, um, as well as um, the information that was available because, again, as you'll be aware, there were um, subsequent police uh, and, and reinvestigations um, and we were working uh, with the council, and I guess for, for periods of time there, it all kind of went on hold uh, while those other uh, reinvestigations went on. Um, and so when you don't know all the evidence or you don't know uh, all the information, um, it makes sense to wait. Um, and in the court system, the, the way to do that is through uh, a not guilty plea. Um, and Also, uh, there were some elements of that original charge, um, and and that's informed by WorkSafe's case, um, as it describes it at the outset, um, that the council uh, disagreed with. Um, So there's a number of factors that will go into that decision. I haven't yet spoken of these in depth, as I plan to in an episode very soon. But to be clear... There have been not one, but two police investigations into the death of Lockie Jones. And both of those have resulted in the conclusion that there is insufficient evidence that Lockie's death is the result of anything other than a tragic drowning. According to Joseph, the council's initial not guilty plea was used to effectively put the case on hold until the outcome of these police investigations was known. Okay, so so you're sort of saying the not guilty was basically just putting it on hold to start with until further information came forward. It, well, that's that's one of the factors, um, and, and along with that kind of overarching issue or concern with the prosecution itself um, and some of the underlying premises of the prosecution. Yeah. Um, I spoke to the former mayor, um, Tracy Hicks, and 
yeah. he, he sort of indicated and, and it seemed pretty clear that, you know, in their mind and I guess in his mind at that time, um, that there was that sort of reasonable doubt that drowning was 100% the cause of death. And I mean, I suppose there must have been that element there. Yeah, and that's uh, in terms of premises of the prosecution where there was a divergence of view. Um, that's uh, one of those factors. Yeah. Um, and so obviously sort of the key thing here is the recent or relatively recent decision uh, by WorkSafe, and I assume there must have been some collaboration with the council to reduce the charge and and take the guilty plea. Um, so what was the reason behind that? Uh, and again, I guess I'll come back to it not ever being um, one reason. Uh, there's a number of factors that go into it. Um, but the issue or the risk uh, for any defendant in health and safety cases is the high standards that are expected of them. Um, and one of the, the other aspects of it, which uh, is quite hard sometimes to understand, is that uh, in order to be found guilty, uh, WorkSafe doesn't necessarily have to prove uh, that A plus B equals C, um, because if there was a, a an element of risk due to, in this case, a deficiency with fencing, um, then for a health and safety offence, uh, that is sufficient. Um, and so, and that will probably help um, with explaining why um, the council made the decision um, uh, through uh, a process uh, involving obviously WorkSafe, um, where uh, agreement to downgrade the charge um, and enter a guilty plea was made um, that reduced both the maximum penalty, uh, but also removed that uh, allegation of um, a risk of serious harm or death arising from uh, the deficiency. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose um, it certainly seems from the outside reading between the lines that it, it, it looked as though sort of WorkSafe have almost thought that they might not get that charge of serious risk of death over the line. And but you're sort of saying I can't, I can't really speak to to what works as view. Um, we put forward um, the council's view. Uh, WorkSafe were open to resolving it on that basis. You know, there's a, there's a again there's a whole yeah. host of things that they have to weigh up, including um, you know court time, yeah. uh, the strength of the case, and all the rest of it. So yeah, I, I don't think I can yeah. really comment on that. But um, from the council's perspective by removing that um, and just leaving again, the, the coronial process is still to come and uh, there's questions that can be asked in that process which is directed more squarely at the circumstances of the death rather than um, what this prosecution was focused on. Okay, and that was actually, it was going to be a question as well but I might as well go to that now. Um you know, and because it is before the coroner and, and a report is expected relatively soon, um, it, it sort of seemed, you know, why did the why was the case, why was it not delayed until that that report came through? Or is it quite a different thing, that report and the health and safety aspect that you're talking about? Yeah, so um, the, the usual uh, process uh, for a coroner is to wait for all the criminal proceedings that are 
related to or arising from a death to conclude. And then the coroner um, does goes through their process and and that's to avoid uh, prejudice to either one of the proceedings. And, and so that, that coronial process is um, now underway. Ah, Okay. That, that makes sense. Um, were you aware at the time uh, before the guilty plea about the second pathology report that was coming um, and what that might contain? Yeah, so the, uh, the second pathology report, um, we were um, aware that a second pathologist had been contacted, but not of the report itself. Okay, so w- was the um, decision to uh, the reduced charges, was that something initiated sort of by the council as opposed to by WorkSafe? Um, the sorry, and I'm just pausing because I have to think yeah, through yeah, um, exactly what I can say on this point because um, there's uh, privilege and certain status that sits over all these sort of uh, discussions. Um, I think that I can say that the initial exchange was prompted by the council and then there was further discussion before um, resolution was reached. Um, and I think that's almost inevitably the way I think it's very rare for a prosecutor to initiate those discussions. So, you know, you took this on and, you know, basically we started working on it in 2019. And so, I mean, you would have been sort of loosely working on this the last couple of years. Was part of your defence, and I assume you would have been preparing a defence in that time, was part of that defence actually investigating the evidence surrounding Lockie's death and the other possibilities, or were you more focused just on sort of the fencing and whether it was inadequate? Our focus had to be on the latter. Um, obviously, you can explore the circumstances of the death, but and in, in my experience, I've worked in health and safety for a long time. If you get too focused on that, you lose sight of your actual risk. Um, and there's a number of cases where people have got distance from the actual um, harm that's arisen from a breach, but are still convicted. Um, and so our focus has to be on the fencing issues first. Um, and then if well, if there is um, a plausible alter- alternate scenario um, that we can glean from the evidence, then we can, can raise that. But that's not our focus. Um, and so I guess that answers your question. Um, we are looking for it, but at the same time, it's not that that's really where the coroner comes into it. Um, and okay. I, I see them in some ways as slightly distinct. And I know, again, it's just because I live in that health and safety world where uh, an offence can be uh, made out or approved by the prosecutor without needing to get that link to the to final piece of the puzzle. And I think that's in many ways where this case concluded. Um, left that open for the next pieces in the puzzle to, to work their way through. This might all sound a bit confusing and you may be questioning the relevance, but it is helpful to have an accurate understanding of the WorkSafe case. And speaking to Joseph, has, to me at least, cleared up a bit of a misconception around exactly what that case represented. When Joseph described the prosecution as not needing to prove A plus B equals C, what he means here 
is that the onus isn't necessarily on WorkSafe to prove that Lockie's death was actually a drowning, only that the fencing was inadequate to have prevented it. And as Joseph goes on to say, that even though the defence does consider alternate scenarios, for them, it's important not to lose focus on what their defence needs to be. And mentions that there is a precedent of health and safety cases where the prosecution was unable to successfully prove causation that the defendant's actions directly contributed to the death, but were still able to successfully prosecute the case anyway. So the major takeaway of all of this is that when considering Lockie's death, we can't really consider the WorkSafe case as being any kind of legal indicator as to what actually took place. But this also doesn't mean that there aren't still questions. Only that those questions really didn't come to bear in this case. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. At the conclusion of the second police investigation, Lockie's case was handed over to the coroner, Alexander Ho, who, as per standard procedure, will conduct an inquiry into Lockie's death. And as previously mentioned, this report is expected to be released any day. I asked Joseph if this could have any bearing on the WorkSafe case. I mean, this case with WorkSafe is closed now, really, isn't it? I mean, if the coroner were to come forward with some sort of bombshell claim um it wouldn't affect you know this guilty plea or anything at this stage would it no well so from the criminal perspective it, it is it, there would have to be yeah i'm trying to think if there would possibly be new evidence that you would be able to i, I don't think so um i think it is closed i think it is complete um uh, from a yeah, that's that's what I what I. Yeah. But again, I I don't like being definitive. I'm a lawyer by yeah. trade, and so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if there's an option that's open, um, then we'd look to explore it. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess at the end of the day, your job is really to mitigate any potential risk to the council and what that maximum level might be. So it's just a balancing act, really, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I, I'm, I I hope that. I didn't come across as that we lost sight of um, the family and Lockie and all of it. Uh, you know, that was always front of mind. And if it, it, in some ways it's challenging to walk away not knowing, but again, having worked in the space for a long time, I've become more comfortable with 
sometimes you, you, you can't have all the answers um, and and you just need to focus on what, what's before you and your client. Um, so I think that's kind of where we spent focused our energy. Did you guys get quite comfortable with with that plan in the end and accepting what happened in terms I, of... I'm very comfortable with what the council decided, you know, and it's also not it's not really my place to comment on. Um, not comfort, but at the same time, it's. Uh, I, I think that the way it was resolved in respect of that charge was um, um, the least worst outcome. As you're aware, this is not a full investigation. If it were, I'd be interviewing every person that knew Paul, Lockie, the family, and all of the witnesses. Due to the situation, that's just not possible. I just have the initial interviews that I arranged prior to my arrival in Gore, but one of those interviews was with a friend of Paul's, a work associate named Johnny Watson. Johnny is old school. He's a no-bullshit kind of guy. I meet him at his immaculate home in Central Gore, where he fills me in on his history, how he met Paul through the freight industry, and how through that, their relationship grew to one of casual friends who would have a beer at the pub or go to the odd rugby game. He briefly describes his view of Paul and Michelle's relationship being a rocky one, before eventually he takes me back to Lockie's death and recalls seeing something that has made him uncomfortable to this very day. I just want to add here that this is Johnny's recollection of the events of this day, what he saw and what he felt. Just a warning here, Johnny does have a strong New Zealand accent. And I think they had some horrendous rows, to be honest. Um, yeah, and um, oh, yeah. The, we just used to see each other every day, and yeah. you know, sometimes we'd go to the bloody pub and have a yeah. beer and that, or the RSA or something like that. Yeah, but not all the time. Like just, was just seeing each other, and if like he he ended up bringing all our freight to us because I didn't go to get it then, and he was he was in and out of our place all the time, bringing yeah. truck stuff. And anyway, I was, well, the day it happened, the big thing happened, um, I was up working up in our workshop in Bromwell, putting all my airlines and that around the roofs and that for the, and down the pits for the compressed air for the things and that. And um, I was just about finished on a Friday afternoon. Was it Friday? Yeah, it was a Friday. Don't ask me when. <coughs> And um, I was just starting to clean my stuff up and put it all back in my truck and to come home. Anyway, the phone goes, it's him. And he was in a hell of a state. So anyway, I got away home <coughs> and uh, went and had a share and bloody got changed in that. And um, well, I thought I'd go down to the house. That was down on... 
Salford Street. And um, he wasn't there. So I went in and I, Michelle's, I knew Michelle's mum and dad. And they were there and people from Riverton were friends of theirs. And uh, they were all in there, bloody pissing up the full of bloody whiskey and everything. And, um, so what time? So, so anyway, I thought, oh, bugger this. I'm not going to put up with this. So I come back home and I rang, um, rang him and said, what, what are you doing? And I said, I've been down to your place. He said, I'm not going there, he said. He said, I've been down there too and I wasn't staying there. And I thought to myself, here's a baby, more, but more than a baby, and they're all pissing up and yahooing and carrying on and nobody seems to be worried about anything. Yeah. And I... Just to be clear, Lockie's death was on Tuesday the 29th of January. Paul had then phoned Johnny on the Friday. According to Johnny, he then went home and showered before heading to Michelle's. And it was here that he found a house full of people, as he described it, pissing it up. Which in New Zealand basically means partying. Which in itself might not seem out of the ordinary. But it was the demeanour of those present that Johnny was shocked by. This was the tragic death of a three-year-old toddler. Not the celebration of the life of an 85-year-old. And for Johnny, this made him feel extremely uncomfortable. So that's what you saw when you went in and they were all, hmm. they were all on the piss. It's hmm. a bloody strange way to act, isn't it? Oh, terrible. Terrible for, you know, for a young child like that. For if it was a grown-up person, it was a hard case, my likes of myself. Yeah, it's different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a bit different, but... You're not celebrating, celebrating the life of no, a three-year-old, no, are you? No, no, no. So I just said, like this, no, I'm out of here. Did you actually go in the house and talk Oh, to yeah, them? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they gave me a beer, a glass of beer, and I said, no, nah, that's it, I'm away. Johnny also recalled the behaviour of Michelle's other sons and the fact that no one seemed particularly concerned about the tragedy that had unfolded only a few days earlier. Okay. Oh, when you went there that night? No, 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 they weren't. Oh, yeah, there was two of them in there. They were, But they weren't drinking whiskey, they were drinking something else. But they didn't stay very long. Yeah. And they went just before me, and I thought, oh, there's something funny going on here, really. Like, the, the kids... Didn't seem to worry, they weren't worried about it, you know. Yeah. They obviously didn't like Lockie for a starter. Um, well, that's my way of looking at it. And like those, that's why Paul used to take him in the van with him. He wouldn't leave him with those kids. But anyway, this day it must have been the other way around. And yeah, I don't know. Johnny's conversation has a tendency to jump from one spot to another, which can make him a bit tough to follow. But here, he goes on to say something that I found interesting. And if there was any truth to it, 
would have massive implications in this case. And it turns out, it's a belief held by many locals, and that's that in his mind, Michelle wasn't actually present at the house in the hours before Lockie was missing. But of course he didn't know. I don't think. Until before, just before he rang me up in Cornwall. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, they, whether they, whether those kids were running around then, like they're all supposed to be looking after him at the house because Michelle wasn't there. Yeah. Also, Michelle wasn't there that night. That's as far as I know. She, she wasn't. She was there when I got there. But she wasn't there when he went missing. Right. That's, that's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah. Or the way I've been hearing it. Is it possible that Michelle wasn't actually present at the house during the afternoon hours? Had Lockie been left in the care of the brothers? The only sighting of Michelle was by the neighbour down the street at approximately 9pm. Michelle stated that she caught up to Lockie outside this neighbour's after he'd run down the street. She then states she spoke to the neighbour for about two minutes with Lockie present, before turning around and discovering that he'd again disappeared. It should be noted that according to the witness statement of that neighbour, she did recall seeing Michelle, but she said she didn't see Lockie. It is all a bit confusing. And I know I'm jumping around a bit here. But we are going to cover this in depth when we hear Michelle's entire police statement in the next episode. There's one thing that's certain in Johnny's mind, though. And that's that he doesn't believe Lockie walked on his own to the ponds that night. It's hard to figure that. There's no way. There's no way. There was somebody would have had him before he got down that far. There's a lot of young ones in that street and, like, he wouldn't have been just going on down there on his own. And to where he was, I don't think he would have got up there anyway. There was bloody stones, you know, sharp, real sharp stones, and big ones and wee ones all the way down that track. Yeah. And he had nothing on his feet. There wasn't a bloody thing on him. You know, he, he would have been in a hell of a mess, really. Um, but I, yeah, I just... What's I your just, sort of gut feeling being sort of a, over this time? You know, without speculating too much, obviously you feel that there's something, something's happened there. I, was, I don't feel like turning around and saying someone has done it yeah. because I could be wrong. But more investigations needed. Well, I, I still reckon there is, yeah. 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 Um, there was all sorts of rumours running around the towns. Some of the young kids around the town and that were sweating and that. But I don't know who the hell they were. Mm. It's, a, it's a strange one to me. Well, it is to everybody that I've been talking to. We just We just can't work it out at all. A strange one, indeed it is. 
I know it might feel like we're jumping around a bit. In some ways, this season I feel like I'm trying to create a coherent narrative with one hand tied behind my back. Up until this point, I've had either none or extremely limited access to any files relating to the case. But as I write this sentence, there's a package with my name on it. A tranche of documents that are going to help me pull everything together over a packed final two episodes. There is still so much we haven't covered. Evidence that to some is the smoking gun. The absolute proof that Lockie didn't wander off. He didn't climb a gate and he didn't drown that day. And trust me, you don't want to miss it. This is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced, and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. All opinions expressed in this podcast are exactly that, opinions, and are not a statement of fact by the podcast itself. All persons named are presumed innocent unless proven otherwise in a court of law. You'll find a detailed video showing the proposed path Lockie walked on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, or our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. I highly recommend you join the discussion with hundreds of other guilt listeners on Facebook at the Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. There are now over 700 of you. Guilt is a 100% independent production. Unlike other New Zealand podcasts, we've never received a single dollar in taxpayer funding. You can support us to continue to make great content, plus get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and early release by becoming a Brevity Plus subscriber on Apple or Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of every episode. Guilt has been made 100% without the assistance of AI. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.